everybody. This is Keith Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast once again here at the Band Cave, and I have a very special guest with me today. Something this this is a subject that I have been wanting to have on my podcast uh, for a long, long time, and it has to do with Blackbird Academy, which is a audio school here in Nashville. It's a studio and a school. And, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about Blackbird in a second, but here I have Scott Brewer with me from Blackbird. Hello. Welcome out. Oh, thanks. Welcome to the Band Cave. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, you may, it may be a little noisy at times. Sometimes there may be a train that goes by here. As you well know, being a studio person, this is not the best environment for a <laughs> recording studio, even yeah. though we do have a studio here in the yeah. Band Cave, but it's for just sort of like uh, mixing and maybe some overdubs, you know, when it's quiet, but gotcha. we would never record a record here. But, um, but anyway, so you are an instructor. Yes. At Blackbird, and also you were a musician for a long time. Yes, I started. Uh, well, uh, I started playing guitar when I was thirteen. Uh, by the time I was fifteen, I was playing in bands. Uh, when I was eighteen, I was out playing shows, and around that time, I started investing in PA equipment, and that's what led me to being a sound person. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I've, I was a music musician for a long time um, before transitioning to the other side of the board. Um, we're actually like it a lot better. Yeah, it's safer there, right? You're like, no one's staring at me. Sometimes uh, I prefer to be a monitor engineer, and sometimes you can get stuff thrown at you. So of course, like, uh, yeah. you have to be on your on your game. Uh, so it's not necessarily safe, but it's where where I like to be. Yeah, okay. I, I want to say there's a joke about monitor guys oh, yeah. about dealing with one at a time, but I'm not going to say that. I'm yeah, like, it's, it's probably kind of off color, but anyway, I tell my students that joke. Uh, yeah, one they only have to deal with one at a time. Yep, the difference between a monitor engineer and a toy Yep, but exactly. we won't we won't say the whole joke, but you can figure that out. They yes. only have to deal with one at a time. That's right. Uh, so you um, you were telling me earlier when we were talking just a little bit before uh, before the podcast um, that you when you were. Uh, sort of a teenager mm-hmm. and just kind of coming up and you learned how to play guitar and things mm-hmm. like that you w- saw you had that a moment that mm-hmm. epiphany of like you know looking at audio gear or a mixer mixing board or something like that and it just mm-hmm. sort of stung you right it was actually much young, uh, earlier than that it was um i believe i was six years old it was 1983 and uh is the video for van halen's hot for teacher okay right. and i don't know if it was uh, you know the ladies in bikinis or the Eddie Van Halen <laughs> shredding on guitar but right. whatever it was it, it caught me I would love to think it's the latter but you know whatever <laughs> um, and I was, but at that point I was hooked uh, I, I knew that that's where I wanted to go and that's what I wanted to do the yeah. unfortunate thing is that my, my uh, mom didn't really support that sort of thing so right. uh, it, I had to mow lawns and save money and that sort of stuff to buy, buy which probably motivated you more Absolutely. when you were finally free and yeah. you're finally out of the house and on your own then all of a sudden okay now yep you put your hands together it's like now i can do what i want to do and I can, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it took a while to get there but i i, I enjoyed the, the ride that's for yeah, sure right yeah i think a lot of us that do what we do had must have had a moment when we were held back at some point you know yeah. by a stepdad or somebody that said you know no you can't do that for a living that's not yeah. feasible that's not re- realistic or whatever yeah. so that when we finally got to where we could practice all the time and make as much noise as we wanted to and yeah. that kind of thing we just it's like setting a, a, a thoroughbred horse free yeah you know at the gate just go you know like that kind of thing uh, there's one point where i was practicing like four hours a day um just every day like hammering um, drills and scales and that sort of stuff and just yeah. trying to be as good as i possibly could um and i think i i, I was you know halfway decent it wasn't yeah. spectacular otherwise you would have heard by, heard of me by now <laughs> well so uh, what ha- what was the moment that was there a moment that you decided to switch was it an opportunity or something like that where you said hey they need a sound man not a guitar player and boom it was it was a situation so like when i was uh, 18 years old i started investing in in pa equipment um so speakers equalizers amplifiers mixers i got my first mixer which was a 12 channel samic it didn't even have phantom power on it. i remember those samic yeah, mixers yeah i had uh, one one time it was it was horrible um but it it, it worked and yeah. it got me what i needed to do then i started buying microphones microphone cables mic stands and that sort of stuff and it became a, a situation where like uh i would take this stuff out with our band so we could play anywhere we, we wanted and yeah. then other bands were like hey can you bring your stuff to our show and so that was kind of the the point that transitioned me to the other side yeah um and i actually like that a lot more um 
just because I was used to it, I was comfortable with it, yeah. and it, it seemed natural. Were you were you kind of like me in a way that you would go out and see other people and sort of judge them in, oh, yeah. in the back of your mind? You'd listen to some sound man and go, why is he putting the drums on? Why is he micing that kid yeah. that way? That's not the way to do it. I try so hard not to be a drum, uh, not to be a, an audio snob. Uh, but it's really hard. So to that's do. a thing, right? That's yeah. actually a yeah, absolutely, a, a, absolutely. Thing, a name, audio yeah. snob. Yeah, um, I can't go into any bar or any uh, venue or anything without number one checking out the rigging and seeing how everything's hung right. because that's important. Right. I've seen too many things that were done sketchy that I stood underneath. Could fall possibly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so like, and I did the install. So I'd go in and do. Uh, we would. Um, go fix other people's work, and uh, and so yeah. I got to see a lot of shady. You charge stuff. more if somebody did it first, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, and so I've, uh, I can't walk into a venue without checking out the the speakers and the rigging and all this sort sort of stuff. And then it yeah. gets to to the music where you're like, oh, I think I would do something different. Um, but the tricky thing is, is like with with audio the way that you perceive it depends on where you are in the room so yeah. a lot of times you could change the position in the room and it sounds a lot better once i learned that i'm like maybe i should just move over there and yeah. uh, so I, I explore a little bit more than than i used to so like the um the, back in the 60s they had this uh term the wall of sound mm -hmm. you know and I, I can't, i'm trying to think of the producer's name that 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 had that coined that phrase that that used to Spectre. produce it. Yeah, Phil Spector yeah. had the wall of sound, and 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 he would place things in the room and the microphone between the where he would seat people in the room and mm -hmm. where the microphones were placed <laughs> would totally change the sound of the record. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And um, and I know we talked earlier about uh, one of my heroes, Rupert Neve. Yeah. was one of the first. He was the first person to actually come up with the idea of like EQ, like actually yeah. like you know deep deep EQ, <laughs> not first, not just um, passive, but parametric EQ. Yeah, pan parametric EQ yeah. because they were trying to. Uh, Rupert Neve was approached by an engineer, and they said we recorded this record. This was back in mono when they would just record literally on wax. You know, yeah. they would just record. You know, they had the hard disk recorders, and they would just put the needle down and record one time with usually one or two microphones in the room. Yeah. And they had a guitar part that wasn't coming through the mix very well. So they thought, well, we either have to get everybody back together again, all the musicians and singers and everything, and re-record it and put the guitar closer. Or maybe in, they contacted Rupert Neve and said, maybe you, know, you could come do something electronically that could be, bring the, the guitar up a little bit more. And so the EQ oh, wow. had occurred to him. And so he was working on kind of like a deep cue where he could change the frequency and yeah. bring that guitar up a little bit more and kind of just equalize, make the whole entire sound a little bit better. You know? That's uh, amazing. I'm not familiar with that story. That's, yeah, that's yeah, fascinating. And, uh, and, and so he really, and so after that point, people started, engineers started coming to him because he was building consoles mm -hmm. and coming to him and asking for features like that, features. Yeah. Um, more uh, uh, stronger amplifiers, cleaner, uh, quieter yeah. amplifiers, and switches, and all that stuff. And he was the one that would that came up with the idea of like transist using transistors instead of yeah. uh, tubes and things yeah. like that. You know, man, I would love to to just pick pick that dude's brain, uh, just to talk about uh, things on a component level to figure out how, how, yeah. he, figured, how he, he he passed away a few years ago, um. but he was active and 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 designing circuits and stuff he moved to texas he's from england yeah. uh, but if you ever if anybody out there ever gets a chance if you're interested in audio recording and the just the the history of multi-track recording and all that um look up rupert neve on the internet and he does a series of interviews up into his 90s i mean wow. he was i forget how old he was 90 mid 90s or early 90s or something like that and he was he just sharp as attack you know wow. up until the day he died i mean and just could tell you all about the history of how they designed those circuits and where the sound came from and even he goes into diving deep into uh, uh, designing his circuits to where the the sound was almost like a godlike sound he's a very religious man yeah. and he would say there's a reason why our ears are why certain things are pleasing to our ear yeah. and he would call it the god frequency or something like that <laughs> where he feels like that, that that our ears there's certain ways and he couldn't really explain it technically but there are ways that you can filter the signal to where it is pleasing to the human ear wow. and not those harsh harmonics the yeah. harmonics that come out yeah. you know as you probably know about that is that is amazing and that may be why neve inputs neve mic pre's sound mm. better than some of the other ones that are out there quite possibly yeah because i know circuitry. They're, they're quite tasty i know he had uh, a hand on the um uh, yamaha revage consoles the pm10 pm7 yeah. or i think it's 
I could be wrong. I know it's the PM10, yeah. but they have a, a button on there that's called the silk button. Silk, and, yeah, know, silk just, circuit, yeah. You press the button. And I have it. one of those. I have a Neve a 511 that's a lunchbox. Okay, uh, it's gotcha. A, it's a 500 series uh, module, and it has a silk circuit in there, yeah. and I'm still messing with that, playing with that. Uh, again, I would like to just be able to <laughs> take that apart and look at how it's made to, to understand how, right, how it yeah. works, because it's fascinating. So you teach at Blackbird Academy. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Blackbird Academy, okay. Just and then I want you to tell me sort of a little bit more about it. It was started by uh, uh, Martina McBride and her husband, John. Is it John McBride? John McBride. John yeah. McBride and Martina McBride together. They started Blackbird Studios, yeah. and then they thought, well, we need to teach some some of these young people the right way to do it, to do this, and we, we could actually – as, as recording times got a little leaner yeah. through the years, they thought, well, we need to supplement this with a, a school. So yep. let's start teaching people. Um, yeah, to hear, hear John tell it, he um, uh, had a bunch of in- interns, uh, like audio interns that have come from a school, and he would ask them, you know, like, what's your favorite mic on a kick drum or something like that? And they would be like, well, we didn't really spend that much time micing drums. And he's like, you graduated, <laughs> right? And then he also would say that these people couldn't make a record if you held a gun to their head. So... Uh, he felt like there's a disservice being done to people that were wanting to get into the industry. A lack and, of hands-on. Exactly. Yeah. And and so I think that that's he was trying to fill that gap um, with Blackbird. And I think he's done a remarkable job. Yeah. I, I am humbled to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, I will honestly say that we have several of our people that have been with us out with Lone Star, yeah. our tech guys. Uh, my drum tech is is a Blackbird Chase. graduate, Chase. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we have we've had several people. Um, a guy named Caleb that was only yeah. I think when he was out with us just before COVID. It was it was 2018 or 19. He was out with us, a front of house engineer, and he yeah. couldn't have been more than 22 years old. Yeah. I mean, and and he was just sharp as a tack. I mean, he, and and when I say that, I mean, when you're young and you're around a bunch of seasoned pros, you know, that have been doing this for for decades and decades, there's a tendency to get a little flustered at times or a little intimidated when there's a problem or a buzz or a, uh, he never exhibited any of that. And nobody from Blackbird has ever had a fluster moment. You know, they've all been just like, oh yeah, I'll fix that. I get it. Well, the, um, we try to put them through the paces while they're at the school and fortunately uh me and my um uh partner uh rich flora um we we both have the experience uh we're both monitor engineers which is kind of strange um but um yeah so we'll when we do testing or when we do like a practical where we're they have to go and hook some stuff up or make some gear work or whatever we'll put them under circumstances that are not necessarily desirable stuff that will stress them out Um, I never for instance I'll never tell them how much time they'll get um, because in the real world you don't know how much time you'll get so and sometimes I'll make them draw for times and so they could draw a a good time or or bad time so it puts them in stressful situations so it when they get out into the world and they experience something like that it's not the first time they've experienced that feeling now when they're in the class when they're doing these exercises everybody's sort of watching right and Mm -hmm. and they're all observing this Um, person not during uh, proficiencies, no. Oh, okay. it's, it's typically one at a time unless it – well, it really depends on what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but uh, a lot of times it is one at a time. Sometimes it is a group project where we put a group together and they have to accomplish something. Yeah. Uh, we do that during uh, midterms and finals especially. So have we talked yet about the, the six months uh, programs and stuff like that? I know we did a little bit before, but yeah. did we do it while we were – I don't think so. so. Yeah, so explain to me about the, the basic setup. It's six months – and, and there's two schools. There's yes. two sections, the studio and the live. Yes. Can so, you tell us? Um, there's a recording program that is uh, housed at Blackbird Studio. They have the room down there that they have a classroom, but they actually go and work in the studios um, and get to use the real expensive microphones. Yeah, because Blackbird is a functioning it's actual recording studio actual in Nashville, recording one of the studio. best. Um, one of the best sounding places I've ever been. Yeah. Um, and they have a mic collection that would make you cry. Yeah, 1,600 like, mics or something. Something like that. like that, and like so many U47s, and just like just these terribly expensive microphones, and they're just kind of laying around like, because they get used. Yeah, right. Of course. Uh, and, and it's not something that they put up on 
a shelf and said, hey, look at what we have. They go, here, take yeah. this and, make, and what can you do with it? Don't um, drop it. <laughs> exactly. Well, John McBride, he, I think it's a 251 where he'll take it and he'll throw it at people. <laughs> and it's, oh it's terrifying God. to see. Yeah. So I'd, I'd hate to be the person that drops that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's a six month program um, and uh, 24 weeks. And, um, and basically the way that it works is every three months we have a class that starts. We have a class that graduates and we have a class that's right in the middle. So we're kind of overlapping as we go, I see. kind of leapfrogging. Um, and so, the, and that's true for both the, the studio and live program. The live program um, is out uh, north of Nashville um, and is really close to Claire Brothers, which actually works out for us because John's uh, a part of Claire Brothers. Claire Brothers, uh, is they, they rent out a lot of live equipment yes, and things like that. That's one, like a warehouse of stuff. Right? They're one of the biggest production companies yeah. on the planet. Uh, and they have offices all over the world. So um, boards and speakers and things are coming and going and all they the can time. see it all happen. And if we need anything, we call across the street. I had a, um, somebody that uh, called me last week and said, hey, I, I need some time on a, a Midas Pro X. I, I call up uh, Claire. Hey, do you have one of these? Yeah. And then we went and got it. Actually, this morning. Sometime meaning like training yeah. your students? Yeah. yeah. Well, especially if students are like, um, I'm getting ready to go out on a gig and I've never been on this desk. Well, we'll see if we can get that desk. And, yeah. and even if they've already graduated. And I think that that's one of the things that sets us apart from a lot of other institutions is we take care of our people afterwards. It's yeah. not just like, okay, get them in the doors and then once they leave, yeah. they're gone. Um, we keep in touch with a lot of these students. Yeah. And, and, and from what them. I understand, a lot of the students – a huge percentage, like 80% or something, that graduate out of either the live or the studio program are ha are working, yeah. like actually waiting on a job because yeah. people are hiring them right out of Blackbird yeah. because they're so good. The the last number I heard as far as live is concerned is actually above 90. Above 90%. Um, I believe it because it's a huge need for those. Especially after the pandemic. And yeah, now, right. The pandemic was really kind of scary and it was hard to motivate people to work when there was no promise of anything at the end of yeah, it. Right. So that was kind of weird. Uh, but we seem to have, hmm, I'm still hesitant to say that we've gotten through it, but yeah. like we, we seem to be doing okay at, at the moment. And the demand after that was insane. We can't churn out people fast enough. Um, and we have people call, calling all the time saying we need somebody for this or that or the yeah. other or whatever. And they go directly to you guys because yeah. you guys turn out the best, yeah. honestly, the best well-trained well, minds in the, in the audio, young audio industry. That is certainly the goal. Right. Yeah. Uh, and what I tell my students is we're going to make them work. Right. It's not easy. Yeah. And anybody that thinks that they're going to come to this school and it's going to be easy, that's a misconception. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's highly technical and it's a lot of math and science and that sort of yeah. thing to understand how it works. But what I tell my students is I want them to be better than their competition. Yeah. And right. I, like hands down, like no, like. In, like I wanted to be an easy choice for an employer to make uh, to hire one of our students. Did, now I have to ask you this, Chase, my drum tech. He's um, he never he really wasn't a drum tech before no. he started with me. I had to sort of train him how yeah. to do everything. But he's so amazing. Who was it? A Blackbird thing, or is it just him? He has his notepad with him. He takes notes of everything. Did you guys tell him that to teach him that, or is no, that something he just? That's, that's Chase. That's uh, just Chase. Yeah. Chase was a phenomenal person, and just to tell a little bit about my end of that story, mm -hmm. um, uh, Kyle Welch, who's your front of house yeah, engineer, right. reached out and said, "Hey, I need a drum tech, and the bus leaves at seven, like that night." <laughs> and, and so I call, I, I text Chase up, and I was like, "Hey, you want a gig? The bus leaves at seven. And he's like, "Yes." And I was like, "You know, it's a drum tech uh, gig." And he's like. I'm not a drum tech, and he's, but <laughs> you will be. <laughs> he has a great attitude. Um, yes. So, like that's that is one of the things that we try to teach is that, you know, John uh, says that attitude is 99% of the gig, and I yeah. think he's 100% right on that. Um, if you have a good attitude, you can go out and do anything you want. Yeah. Uh, if you have a bad attitude, it doesn't matter how technically proficient you are. People don't want to hang around you. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we try to try to teach is you know yeah. whatever situation you're in, you need to be positive. I think that Chase was probably the first drum tech that I've had many through the years, but he was probably the first one that I ever remember saying something like he'll say, is everything okay on the kit tonight? And I'll say, well, that one thing could stand to be a little more that way or lower or whatever. I would just give him a little bit of critique the next day. And from then on, it was done. Yeah. It was always, 
he would never forget it. Yeah. You know, and that's phenomenal to he, me. He, he chases a, a phenomenal person. I don't care and if he hears me say that. And now he sets my kid up absolutely perfect, like, like he's been doing drum teching for 100 years. I, I heard he was like learning lighting or video or something like that, he, too. Yeah, he's our video. He's, he's a drum tech and slash uh, video tech person because okay. we have video screens, live video screens, yeah. and they're very technical how to run them and set them up. And he just took the bull by the horns. And now if any technical problem happens, he knows how to figure it out. He's chased that, down. That's probably why I'm thinking that's why we call him Chase. Yeah. Because he can chase down. I know that's his name, but it's the perfect name because yeah. he can chase down a problem anytime and figure out what. There was when we had a my drum tech before, he had a mouse, a computer mouse that mm. It was a wireless Bluetooth mouse that mm. that he forgot to turn off when he left to go. He got another gig. He got an opportunity to go with, I think, Dan Shea or something like that. Gotcha. Anyway, um, he had forgotten about this mouse, and it was in the drawer bobbing around in there, and we could not figure out. We were doing two or three gigs where the video screens would go on, and they would go off, and they would go on, and they would go off, and the mouse was just kind of moving around. He goes, I there's like a ghost in the machine somewhere. I don't know how this mouse is even moving, but it just kind of has a mind of its own. Oh, that's crazy. And Chase is the one that went in and said, okay, I figured it out. Yeah. I've, there's a mouse in a drawer that got left on, and oh my God, I just couldn't believe it. <coughs> but, that's, uh, that's amazing. That doesn't yeah, so, surprise me at all about Chase. He's, he's pretty tenacious. Yeah. Um, so Blackbird Academy... Um, you were saying that some people, uh, the the live the live training program and the studio training program are six months each, and mm. some people will go into one, and as soon as they graduate from the live, they'll go right into the studio yep. program. That's pretty phenomenal. I mean, yeah, they're glutton for punishment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you do the studio program after live, then I, I think that that's going to be a little bit more. Relaxed. You're going to be a pro. You're yeah. Gonna, yeah like, um, and if you do the studio and then go into live, then it's 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 we come at it from a different angle so yeah. it's you kind of have to rethink things uh, yeah. number one our speakers are in the same room with the microphones and yeah. that's something right. they've never dealt that's with true. before yeah. so now we have to accommodate for that so that's um uh it's it's a little different but yeah. uh, you know, I'll tell you this: if uh, if I had a spare six months, I would totally go down and do that program. Yeah. Um, the instructors that they have down there. Are, Which one? Are, the live or the studio? The studio. The studio program. Um, the instructors they have down there are top notch, and uh, and I, I I've got nothing but good things to say about yeah. them. Every time I go down there, I'm amazed uh, at, at what they're doing. Yeah. So uh, you know, if I could do it, I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Would you say that the studio environment is a little more relaxed than the live environment, or is it the other way around? I, I think it, it depends on who you have in the studio. Like right. uh, the artist, you know, you, you know, artists can be yeah. one a little or the demanding. other. Demanding. Yeah, and then some engineers are are the same way, where yeah. they'll be throwing stuff and yelling. producers possibly yeah. could be demanding. Exactly. Uh, so I think I think it uh, depends on who, who you have. And same thing with love. Um, like you can have a band on stage. A lot of times the seasoned pros are easy to work with because they know exactly what they want. Yeah. Whereas if you get a new band on stage, they, they want everything. They mm -hmm. want it to sound like the album. And you're like, uh, <laughs> we can't do that. Uh, if you need to hear the yeah. kick drum, how about you stand a little bit closer to the kick drum? <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Um, well, I'll give them kick drum, but not everything uh, yeah, else. Right. Yeah. I've had weird requests for like uh, overhead mics in the wedges, and I'm like, nope. I had one guy ask me for a click in a wedge, and I was like, and you know, you're not supposed to do that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I wish I could have seen my face because uh, I cocked my head like a confused puppy, and, and, and he was like, oh no, never mind. And like, <laughs> so obviously, I said something to him without yeah. saying anything. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, oh, that was a dumb, dumb thing to ask for. So, so you as an instructor, do yep. you? Um are you doing the full instructing full time, or do you, mm -hmm. do you t sometimes take gigs? Do you, are you um, able to? Not anymore. I, I did when I first started, but uh, it, this is a full time gig for full time me. teaching. So, like, um, I mean, you know, we we go from. Um, 10 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock at night. Uh, but both Rich and myself are there by 8, 8.30 in the morning, and then we'll stay until 6 or 6.30 at night, yeah. depending on the day. And so, and just preparing for the next week or preparing for the, you know, whatever, and any sort of rehearsals that we have coming through the space, it's it's a full-time gig. Yeah. And so anytime I get off, I kind of appreciate it. And anytime I get to not listen to music, I try to take that time. Okay, I see that, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a weird thing to say in my position, but, like, yeah. you get to the point where you're tired of listening. Yeah. Um, and I did that, like, uh, when I was uh, out gigging. Like, uh, I would get in my car and I wouldn't listen to anything because I had just spent – 
a lot of time listening. And yeah. I think people don't understand what it's like to listen critically. And you can burn out your ears yeah, easily, yeah, absolutely, especially in the studio absolutely. environment. You're hearing the same thing over and over and over and over yeah. again. I've had some engineers, uh, when we were tracking, uh, they'll go in there and they'll have the speakers down really, really low you know, like until the whole band comes in. Then they'll kind of crank up the yeah. – and, and I, would, I asked him, I said, how come you're – does it sound better if it's low? He says, well, I'm just trying to save my ears a little yeah. bit. And he goes, it's a muscle just like anything else. And yeah. He explained it to me. Interesting. Yeah. No. Um, whenever you're mixing, you want to have it uh, somewhere around uh, 85 decibels. Uh, that's yeah. where our hearing response is. And that's is, mixing. Uh, as people, yeah. some people don't know that the process of tracking, editing, and then mixing, yeah. and even mastering is, is that's a whole nother. Mastering is a whole nother ball yeah. of wax. Yeah. Uh, I would love to get into in, into that. And I was. I was do you teach of, that at Blackbird? The mastering. I don't. Or? No. Um, that I don't know if they do down at the studio or not, to be honest with you. Um, uh, that, I, I do know that that's a specialized it skill, really is, so yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if they would do that. I've had Ken with... Love on my podcast before. Oh, wow. Uh, the, who is the, you know, mastering, he's the master of mastering. <laughs> you know, I had him on here before. He's, he, ma he mastered, the way I knew his name was he mastered the Lonely Grill album. With oh, wow. Amazed and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And pretty much all the... I mean, it's, it seems to me that pretty much any any album that's any album coming out of Nashville, Ken Love yeah. mastered it, you know, because yeah. he just that's what he does. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's uh, I mean, the gear that they use is different, yeah. like uh, the compressors instead of having just a knob that all of their knobs have indentations. So you, yeah. you can recall exactly where you were. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the, the gear is specialized. And so that's kind of a yeah. it's not like um I don't know. It's not magic, but yeah. it kind of appears to be at times. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, I'll share a story with you that uh, was fascinating to me. Years ago, this was back in the like late 80s, maybe, mm -hmm. um, I saw a monitor engineer. He was a guy that worked with us when I was in the band Canyon. He worked with us, and then he was moved on to his own sound company or something. I think he was working for Neil McCoy or something like that. But I was backstage watching him switch over, or, or actually, it was, it was during after the sound checking process, he was basically audibly taking notes on, and you probably know this technique mm -hmm. he had a little micro cassette recorder and he was talking into it and looking at the knobs oh, wow. and every <laughs> single channel and i and i came up to him i said what are you what are you doing what are you doing like and he, and he goes hold on and he paused it he said well i'm just i'm just um recalling every yeah. single parameter of this thing because when the next band comes on they're going to change everything on yeah. this monitor because everyone's sharing yeah. a monitor console of course nowadays everybody's kind of got their own yeah. monitor console but back then when you had to share a console mm -hmm. the recall was a kind of a long process yeah. of recalling like every eq setting every gain setting every everything and just to put it right back to exactly the where hopefully if you can yeah. to where it was and he so that i guess when it came time to switch over for the show he would put that on play and put his headphones in oh, and gotcha. sit there and go right down the line with every that's, single channel that, da, 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 that's crazy put it and so by the end of 15 minutes or whatever you know he'd have every single parameter of that board back wow. to the way it was at soundcheck what's, what's crazy about that is with digital consoles now you can put it on the usb stick and, so, go to and just go bloop yeah and yeah. that's it you know it saves everything it's it's magic um it's it's kind of kind of like cheating um but at the same time it's it's a good thing yeah but i, I think you you have to train your students how to how to you know uh, recognize all this new gear and yeah. it, that brings me to another question uh, when new gear comes out I yeah. mean you guys you the instructors you yeah. have to be able to sort of be a step ahead of the students because yep. the students will probably read about it in YouTube or hear it on YouTube and yeah. go hey I saw this new piece of gear and you have to be able to say yeah that's the XL 9000 or whatever you know yeah we you try to stay on top of it but I mean to be honest with you a lot of that happens too fast to, to even yeah get on top of it so there's a lot of times that we'll get uh, gear from Claire and it's the first time I've seen it so like uh, okay let's dig into it and I treat it the same way I would if it was a console that I was going to do a show on well okay I have to learn this now so yeah, let's right. I, I tell every student that they, have, they need to be able to walk up to a console console and uh, quickly be able to assess what it's capable of. What are its inputs? What are its outputs? And, and the plugins and, and all that and all crazy that sort of stuff. stuff. It's just a amazing. Yeah. And everybody's different as far as that's concerned. A Midas desk is not the same as a Digico desk, which is not the same as an Avid desk, which is not the same yeah. as a Yamaha desk. It's 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 crazy. So, yeah, 
fortunately, uh, if you learn kind of how a company does a thing, then it translates from one desk to, to the next yeah. sometimes. Um, Digico is great for that. Like they have a, a, u- a user interface that they've used on every single console in the SD series with the exception of the S21 and S31. So if you wow. know one of them, you can go work on any of them. So what so. would the process be in the, let's say, let's just say the studio, uh, a training program, uh, it, you start out with what are the basics and kind of give me a rundown of kind of like how you, what the layers are, like what you start with the gotcha. circuits and you kind of move on to that. Well, because I'm in the live, uh, on the live side, I can't give you a really detailed explanation of what they do. I know they go through, you know, of course, signal flow and uh, concepts as far as microphones and how they work and that sort so of thing. So you could take and somebody that knows nothing about yeah. music or audio at all yeah. and, and start with the basics. And then by the end of the six months, yeah. they're, they understand everything. At the end of the six months, they're tracking their own projects. Wow, so, incredible. like, um, one of my favorite stories is uh, I had a, a lady named uh, Lisa Morgan. I'm going to say her name out loud because I'm super proud of her. Lisa Morgan. And she was 37 years old when she came to our program, and she was a chef before. She didn't know anything. Wow. Um, she couldn't tell you the difference between an extension cord and an XLR. Um, and she came in and did the program, and it wasn't easy. Um, and but she stuck with it, and then later on, she uh, uh, once she graduated, she went across the street to Claire, uh, got a in their roading and roading and training school, which is called RIT, um, and went in that for six months or so, and then went out with uh, Chris Stapleton. Wow, and just like that, just like that, you know, like so. It's it's actually easier to to take somebody that doesn't know anything and train them as opposed to somebody that thinks they know something. That makes sense. Yeah, and ha- have to unlearn a bunch of stuff. Yeah, um, that's a good point have to unlearn things that they may have heard or things that yeah i can see that being less confusing than than if somebody that already um what's great is like if somebody is like real proud about you know what they know i'll I'll break out math and i'll go this is why you're wrong and and of course they never like going into math but there is math and science behind all of yeah. these things these microphones that recorder you know every every single bit of what we do there's there's science behind yeah. it and then uh, yet it all breaks down to input and output yeah right? isn't that funny a, absolutely uh, it's simple but it's very you know everything in between can be so complex the um yeah uh, signal flow is is what we push the most if yeah. you can understand signal flow you've got it you know yeah. the, the rest is easy it, that's that's just figuring out where to plug it in but if you understand how it gets from one place to the next then you then you win. Yeah. You know, my mom, when I was growing up, my mom was an entertainer. She played, she played guitar and sang. And she told me that I was the only person that she knew that could figure things out, look at a piece of an audio gear. And I never was like an engineer or mix, you know, like a mixing engineer or anything like that. But I did understand input and output. Yeah. I understand when I look at something, something goes in, it goes through here and this button has to make it go out there. And that has to go out to a speaker or something. Yeah. And she said that I was, I was brilliant in figuring those <laughs> things out, like on the spot, just yeah. doing input and output. And that, Man, if you got that, yeah. you, that's that's ninety nine percent of what yeah, we do is exactly. inputs and outputs. Yeah. So, so um, uh, how is the class going right now? Is it really full right now? You said after COVID, it kind of picked up. Um, so, like uh, our class sizes vary quite a bit. Like, um, and it depends on the time of the year. So, we have four classes that begin. Uh, you know, one in January, one in uh, April, one in July, and one in uh, September or October, whatever it is. Um, and typically, October is the biggest class because people. How, when you say biggest, how like in one classroom? Let's say you're you're teaching one day, and there would be what twenty people, or would there be seven people? At the live school, we max out at fifteen people. Fifteen. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've had seventeen. I'm not sure how that happened, but whatever. Um, yeah. So we try to cap it at uh, at fifteen people, and the reason for that is like what we do is hands on, uh, and it's hard for you know to get fifteen people's right. hands on something, right. um, especially see. like. Uh, you know, the the first week that, uh, of our course is electricity. So we're dealing with very dangerous stuff. Yeah, right. And it's stuff that they need to get their hands on. They need to understand how it feels, a tactile response to how something feels when they connect it correctly. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's just hard to get 15 people or more than 15 people in line for that. Yeah. Our current classes are about right in the middle um, of, of that uh, number. Um, but we just graduated a class of 14. So, um, it's, it's kind of up and down. It's, it's weird. Yeah. So, um, but I, th- I think even with 15, that's enough of, that's an, we have enough time for you to get, 
uh, as much uh, experience as you can yeah. on the gear, which yeah. is important. It's it's one thing to to see hear me talk about turning a knob. It's another yeah. thing to turn the knob. Yeah, right. um, And so that's what we try to give our students. Oh, that's amazing. What is your um your your I would say your you teach mostly live yeah. stuff. What's your favorite sort of I'm going to say mic placement, but uh, I'm just going to try to bring it back to the drums a little bit. Yeah. Um, what how would you describe uh, the best way for someone to like mic a drum kit? Um, I'm a fan of the SM91 or the Beta 91 uh-huh. um, kick drum mic. Yeah, kick yeah. drum mic, uh, and I like to use it in conjunction with the Beta 52. And yeah. oftentimes I'll mute the 52. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Sometimes you can get a blend that's very nice, and sometimes the 91 is by itself uh, yeah. way better. Um, as far as like miking, um, like a snare or something like that, a 57 or a um, Audix i5 are, are typically what I use. Um, and the toms, it depends on where I'm at and, and what I'm doing, but yeah. uh, Beta 98s have worked well for me. Uh, the six Sennheiser 604s, uh, I like their their footprint. They're very mm-hmm. small, so you, uh, yeah. you, it's not like giving a big target for the drum yeah. to hit. Like the 421s, you put that yeah. on a tom, and it's like, mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's too big. Yeah. Um, so the smaller mics are like that on the toms overheads typically um ksm 137s or some sort of small diaphragm condenser microphone and yeah. uh, maybe a 81 how SM. close in on the overheads i typically will go simply after the cymbals um, yeah. and because we're close miking everything yeah, right. else uh-huh. um, whereas in the studio you might want to go for like the overall sound and you might want to put your microphones higher yeah um I've pick found, up a little more of the room exactly you know, or something but if if you're on a stage, well, then you're picking up the floor monitors right, yeah. and all that. Then that's just garbage. So all that does is introduce like phase incoherency with right. all of your other signals. So I try to keep them um, pretty close to the symbols. Yeah. Um, like one on the left, one on the right, uh, depending on how many you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, now Kyle, what he does, he has this thing where he talks about, and and, and he's not. This this is pretty much kit, all through the kit, like yeah. kit wide. Um, is he points? He has it up a little bit, pointing in toward mm-hmm. the middle, or slightly in between the rim and the middle. Yeah, like, like not quite exactly in the middle, but a little bit back from the middle. I, is that I, right? Is that did you teach him? No, I, I use the same technique. It's basically two fingers in from the rim, two fingers yeah, up, right. and then pointed right in between the rim. Yeah, uh, in between the rim and the the center. So it's not of pointing head. at the middle of the drum, but it's kind of just shy of yeah. the middle of the drum, right? And that uh, seems to be the best tone. Well, the 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 thing is, and what most people need to know. Like, you need to listen to the drums. If you're going to mic the drums, you need to listen to what they sound like. Yeah. If you're going to mic a guitar amp, you need to listen to what that guitar sounds like or right, what yeah. the amp sounds like. Right. Uh, how are you going to know if you're getting uh, the sound that you want or that the artist wants yeah. if you've never heard it? So you need to go on stage. You need to listen to these things. And then before you start hacking at an EQ, change the, the angle of the microphone. And a yeah. lot of times that cures everything. Yeah, right. So mic placement is huge. And... Um, um, it's unfortunately it's a highly subjective subject yeah, so it's, right. it's not something that I, I, I'll give my opinion on it but I'll say this is my opinion and you know other people have other opinions Mine's feel like, free to experiment that exactly. kind of thing see what works for you please experiment like uh, I tell people all the time you might stumble uh, across the next coolest thing by yeah. experimenting that's you know how gated reverb happened yeah unfortunately um <laughs> you know once that happened nobody no drummer in the in the 80s had a drum track that didn't have gated reverb on it right um so. if they actually recorded live drums in the 80s exactly <laughs> this joke that there wasn't a single real drum recorded on a record in the 80s which is not true but it's close it's there, was, <laughs> there was a lot of the simmons drum pads back of, then i mean you know. no just drum machines yeah. i'm talking about oh, it was yeah. like total like synthetic but they sounded good you know yeah. like michael jackson records and you know huey lewis in the news yeah. that was a lot of the lindrum stuff you know gotcha i mean what engineer wouldn't want to have a box that everything's all oh, set to go you don't have to wait on a drummer to get sounds yeah. it's just like yeah we programmed this thing and it sounds great so sorry yeah exactly <laughs> and it's consistent every time it doesn't drop a stick yeah right he, yeah you know. and paul lime he was on the podcast one time and he was talking about how he's many times over he's had to reinvent himself yeah. or his career he's had to figure out so in the 80s there was a lot of drum machines you had to learn how to program a drum machine yeah. if you were going to be a working drummer yeah you know or, or maybe have something that sounded better than the drum machine yeah you know, or a ways to kind of work around that but it's it's kind of crazy like um 
how we kind of shifted towards our focus towards being more perfect. Uh, and, and a lot of times that takes away from a lot of the musicality. Of course, of it. Yeah. Like what uh, attracts me to music is when somebody hits the wrong note or right. somebody slows down a bit or speeds up a bit, which, you know, now everybody's playing to a click and now yeah. they have a voice in their head that tells them when the chorus is going to come up. And, yeah. and like Keith uh, Moon on Won't Get Fooled Again, when he hits the rim of the yeah. snare instead of the snare on one beat, exactly. he misses the backbeat. That's, I it, love that. It's those little imperfections, which that uh, makes the whole performance human. And that's the, yeah. what you don't get from a drum machine. That's and, true. That's and, true yeah. and what you don't get from synthesizers even though I love both of those things. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm opposed to everything sliding towards perfection. Yeah, like right. where Quantized and Quantized and, and auto-tuned yeah. and just, it's like, you know, we, we used to have to practice. Yeah. You know, you, you, have to, you used to and have to spend time to get good. Some of the best songs in the world have a drummer that plays at one beat in the beginning and it speeds up and it yeah. speeds up and it speeds up. Honky Tonk Women. Yep. Uh, and uh, superstition. Have you ever listened oh, really? to superstition? No. Have you ever get a chance? This happened to me one day in my car when I had it on auto repeat somehow accidentally. I was just repeating the same song for some reason, and uh, it was uh, it was um, superstition. And it starts up. It's about that tempo. By the end of it, you know, superstition. And then it hits. It it fades out, and then it starts again. And it was like. What song is this? <laughs> it was like a totally different song. But nobody ever said, oh, God, it's so terrible. Listen to the way it speeds up or whatever. No, Honky Tonk no. Women is the same way. If, if you play it's something, human, right? If you play something live and you get into it, you're going to yeah. play it faster. It's going to be a little faster. It's, yeah. it's just the way it is. And I'd rather see a performance like that. Yeah, right. I'd yeah. rather see something that like is not necessarily the, the same on the To a click the, track, yeah. Or the same on the record, you know, to a T. If you want to experiment, go yeah. for it. Like that's what it's all about. So. But then I am appalled sometimes when I see bands that will play their hit song, not so ninety beats per minute faster than what the record was. You <laughs> yeah, know? I, th- I think that honestly, I think that people uh, that are fans of the music, fans of the record, fans of the band or whatever, I think secretly they really do want to hear it like yeah, the record. Exactly. I mean, as close yeah. to the record as you could get it. You know, what's familiar to them? Fam- yeah. yeah, yeah. They they don't want it to sound like you know they're just like rushing through it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I can't imagine. I, I was talking to my wife yesterday, and I was uh, or I was. I was telling her about a student that was getting impatient because he was mixing the same song over and over again. And I was like, well, how do you think, you know, the engineer for Garth Brooks feels about friends in low places? You you think he ever wants to hear that song again? Right. Um, But, you know, uh, of course he does. Yeah. Because that's a great gig to have. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I just I've got so many questions that I wanted to ask about Blackbird um, that I should have written them down. But um, anyway, uh, well, Blackbird Academy, what would be sort of, is it okay if I ask the cost of what, like how expensive it is to go there? Is I'm that... probably not the best person to ask. Yeah. Um, I want to say it's around 23000 um, 23, for a six-month course. But like I said, this is a highly immersive yeah. um, uh, program. and um, Pretty much guaranteed you're going to be in the industry working by the time you get out. That depends on the student, right. you know, as with anything else. You know, like I, I can't guarantee you're going to get a gig. I can't guarantee that there's going to be a job waiting for you as soon as you get out the door but i've yeah. seen it happen yeah. you know i've seen that happen plenty of times like if you come in and you have a good attitude and you work hard uh you have the ability to show up on time yeah. uh all of those things then yeah chances are you're going to be working um yeah. and a lot of a lot of companies right now just need bodies like yeah, people that can right. push cases but like we're we're wanting to turn out people that are better than, than and that. like we always have this thing about being a good hang you know about yeah. being a good that's so huge you know yeah. and i think that blackbird seems to either iron that out or they just someone that's going to pay $23,000 for a six month yeah. course is going to probably need to be a good guy, you know, a yeah. good person. They're, they're the, the, it's going to weed out the, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, don't be that guy on the you, bus. You know, you would think, um, I, my experience is not lined up with that, but, um, <laughs> I was, I will say this, that like, uh, I went to school, uh, for, uh, recording engineering and double majored in concert sound and lighting. Uh-huh. Um, and it took me three years to get through that. Uh, and I'm, I paid more than what Blackbird costs. Yeah, okay. And the students that come to Blackbird are getting more than what I got when I was in school. Wow. And so if you're in looking six at, months and you went for two years, it was three, three years because right. I double majored, all, right. uh, all the core curriculum was the same, but I had specialty classes I had to yeah. take, but it's like, 
I paid more. It took way longer, and the quality of what we got wasn't the same. Yeah. Furthermore, um, like when I was talking about teaching electricity, um, they didn't let us touch anything. You know, yeah. like as far as that's concerned, our guys are actually hooking stuff up and metering yeah. it and and doing all the things that they're actually going to do in the real world. That's great. Um, you know, from I got day one pretty much. From, right? Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and you know, we try to immerse them in the things that they are going to experience, yeah. and and they're. And you can't get this from YouTube. Yeah, right. And you can't get it from a book. You know, uh, we have guests. They'll come over and tell stories uh, about you know situations they've been in, and everybody's got them. Yeah. Um, where like something went horribly wrong, or something miraculously went right. Yeah. Um, so we try to we try to give them the the, the whole thing. But like as you mentioned, the cost and it, there is a bit of sticker shock there. But yeah. like the way that I see it, it's way better than what I. What I got for what I paid, and it's only six months, so that's that's really that's kind of you're paying for, you're you're paying for a condensed like um, a a comprehensive short amount of time, really, but a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, and and you're getting exposed to um, a lot. Well, number one. We have uh, some great gear at the school, and then we have access to uh, you know any gear that we need from Claire Brothers if they have it. You know if it's not yeah. out on tour or whatever. Um, so we have the ability to get like the newest consoles and bring them over and go. This is brand new. Check it out. Yeah. And and be able to teach on it. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think that it's just. Uh, I think John in his vision. Uh, John McBride. John McBride, yeah. yeah. I think that, like, uh, I don't know where he came from. Or I don't know how he came up with uh, the idea for the school and, and how to structure it and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That was before my time. Um, but it's it's remarkable. And I've, I've, I yeah. haven't seen anything like it. He probably um, just sat down being a person in the industry himself and yeah. said, what would be the best way to to take a, a, a non-knowledgeable person to, off the street yeah. and – and sh- and by in six months in something like six months, boom! They're yeah. you know, and so we figured it all out. Yeah, we had. Um, um, I was uh, sick one year uh, during uh, midterm practicals, and I had um, Alan Ditto, which is Martina's stage manager, come in and and run the practicals. And his words were, "If they're doing it this at three months, they're going to be." What is practicals? What is that? Oh, so basically, like it's you know not a written test, yeah. right? So anything that's a, like a physical test, like you have to set up a piece of gear, yeah. you have to uh, mix a song and record it into Pro Tools or anything like that. Yeah. Um, this week we're working on Dante, so we're getting certifications and teaching how to use Dante and that sort of stuff. What is Dante? Uh, Dante uh, is a digital a di- digital yeah. protocol that allows uh, transfer of audio over computer networks. Okay. Um, so. Um, uh, instead of like having your interface and plug it into your device, you would plug it into a router, and then the router would plug into your com- uh, your computer or whatever. Oh, I see. Uh, the cool thing about it is you can send audio like anywhere wirelessly. You want. Yeah, through, yeah. It, not wirelessly. It doesn't necessarily like um, Wi-Fi, but it, yeah. it needs to be wired. But we have. Um, a Dante interface in our rehearsal space uh, right beside the stage that's getting fed from the splitter at the stage and I can send it to any computer oh, wow. in, in the building using Dante. So, wow, that's incredible. Um, a, a test like that, we're not going to give them like a written test on. It's going to be more like, okay, you need to be able to set this up. You right, need yeah. to be able to patch this and Hands make on, this. Hands on, see if you can do it. Exactly. So it, I mean, it's it's taking the training wheels off. You know, we, we start them out slowly and then we the further we go, the more difficult it gets. Mm-hmm. And to the point where we try to have somebody that can walk out if the door. If someone gets stuck, do you kind of help them along or, or are they... Not during the practical, no. No, not the practical? No, so I'll, I'll you help... you got to know this stuff. Yeah, I'll help them all... Any, any way I can during the week, yeah. uh, come Friday, it's it's you don't it's on put the, the training wheels back on. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 a pass or fail thing, yeah. um, and the 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 way that we we it's not everything, but sometimes the way that we grade something is all or nothing, yeah. meaning that you either did the thing and you get a hundred, or you didn't and you get a zero. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. And the the reason for that is like you know, you've probably experienced this where like you know if you if you decide to not play, well you don't get paid. Yeah, right. Uh, if you decide to go get hammered and go play, and they decide to not to kick you off mm-hmm. the stage, well they're not going to have you back. There right. are yeah. real consequences right. to not being able to perform. So we'll teach them how to do it and let them practice it and that sort of stuff ask whatever questions you need but at the end of the day you have to be able to do it and there's no hiding behind anybody 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and I feel that. I feel that when with some of the alumni that we've had out with us, some of the Blackbird alumni, that whenever there was a problem, they didn't get flustered. They didn't, you know, didn't uh, even hesitate. Yeah. They just went right to it and said, well, let's work it out. Let's finish it. Think it's this. Is it that? Okay. Yeah. Well, and they just use their brain and their training and they get in there yeah. and they go, oh, it's this. It, this wasn't plugged in or whatever. It, the the Probably the one thing that uh, we teach that's not on the curriculum is troublesho- troubleshooting. And and the worst thing that could possibly happen is for something to go wrong while you're under pressure. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you, then you lose your mind and you lose the ability to think. Yeah. So one of the things, we first off, we teach troubleshooting. So if something goes wrong okay let's stop let's talk about it where do you think the problem is and how do you how do you go about fixing it do you start at the source or do you start at the end yeah um and then kind of think about it analytically uh, to figure out where you should start. And then number one and number two, take a breath yeah. and realize you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Just calm down uh, because you can't figure anything out if you're freaking out. Yeah. So There's a story about, uh, you know, who Ken Calais is. He was the engineer on the Fleetwood Mac Rumors album. And he oh, has wow. an audio book out. It's called and I trying to think of the name of the audiobook but it's Ken Calais they they call him Cutlass Calais gotcha. because back when you used to edit on tape with the razor blade mm. he used to do edits and Fleetwood Mac those people those uh, those musicians in the band would, would call him Cutlass Calais because when he would do an edit you couldn't tell that there was a cut there wow. he did it in some kind of stair step way or something <laughs> anyway he was doing a troubleshoot thing and this is in his audiobook where they were trying to a live show mm-hmm. and because he would go he was really the engineer on their album mm-hmm. one of the engineers on the album co-producer too I guess he got co-producer credit um, but he was they were doing some live thing in Hollywood and they had a monitor speaker that was they couldn't figure out why it didn't sound good and they tried everything they tried different power amps they tried different chords they tried different speakers everything they could not figure out what the problem was and and ken calais was able to go in there and go oh it's out of phase (laughs) (laughs) and they just thought he was the most he was their hero yeah i mean it's just some things like that that just like common sense you know they were just like well you saved the day man I tell my students phase is the thing that uh, is going to haunt them for the rest of their lives because it's something now explain to us just real quick for those that don't know what phase what phase is Um, in words it's kind of hard to explain but it's uh, the the definition would be it's the relationship between two or more waves in in time and space so a speaker moves in and out and that's how it vibrates the sound and then they can it can be off exactly so like it's either one or the other it's yeah. it's uh, uh um it's binary so like yeah. uh you either have it wired where the speaker pushes or you have the uh, it wired where the speaker pulls. pulls uh and if you have two speakers and one's wired to push and the other one's wired to pull well the sound that you get is going to be diminished quite right a bit. yeah it's going to suck the uh, tone out of it yeah. sort of if you've ever heard it's very disorienting sound yeah and then there, you know if it, you get it right or i'm sorry if you get it wrong enough you can cancel the sound altogether you right. can have yeah. two sound sources that are playing at full blast and you're one's not pushing here. one's pulling and yeah. it's just like not yeah uh, so like with the uh, as far as the speakers are concerned the same things are, are happening with the air molecules in front of it where you know this speaker's telling the air mo- mo- molecules to move away yeah this one's telling it to pull back and so the net result of that is that they don't move yeah i see um, yeah and right. so that's it's it's kind of crazy you run into phase issues with like especially with drums like mm-hmm. uh snare drum and overheads or snare drum and toms or if, and if you, the microphones are pointing yeah. a weird way like at each other or something like that mm-hmm. it's kind of weird it's and what's crazy is like we don't really have control over phase we have control over polarity and yeah. uh, the only difference is is um, polarity is a 180 degree difference where phase could be anywhere between zero and 360 degrees yeah. uh, off um so we we have the option to flip the polarity by 180 degrees, and that might fix the problem, or it might not. If yeah. if it makes a better hooray, you know, if it doesn't, yeah. then you're kind of screwed. Um, some digital consoles you can actually add delay, uh, yeah. where you can change, you can align the phase uh, with it, which is kind that of sort of solves the problem. Yeah. Kind of solves the problem, but it's a lot more. You have to be a lot more accurate in with where you're putting your microphones. Yeah. You can't just throw them up and, and expect it to work. So I used to use Logic a Pro a lot, mm-hmm. and they had this um, a plugin in there. It was a goniometer. It was is actually a yeah. It was it was a 
I forget. Oh, it was a gain plug-in. It was mm-hmm. just for gain. But it had a little feature in there that if something was out of phase, it would move to the red. Hmm. And if everything was in phase, it would move to the blue, a little, a little kind of an LED sort yeah. of light type thing. And I was mixing a record. I was doing a, like a lullaby, baby lullaby CD, and it was just a lot of keyboards and things like that. And there was something out of phase, and I could not figure out where it was, so I would just solo everything. I was so proud of myself because I'm not really an engineer, but I, I did figure this out using that, um, that gain plug-in, and it had just that little phase detector on there, and I would solo every single track, and there was probably about 20 or 30 tracks, and then until finally something showed in the red, and I'm like, ah, yeah. that's the one, yeah. and I solved it, and I flipped the polarity, and it went in the blue, yeah. and problem solved i was so proud of myself i would say that the the polarity switch not every console has has them uh any any console that's that's you know um any pro console will um but um uh, that's probably the most misused or unused button on the entire thing Uh, and i tell my students all the time like just press it see if it sounds better press it see if it sounds better and and, uh, ultimately you know some of them will some of them won't and uh, you'll find it helps in the weirdest places like keyboards Uh, if you have keyboards left and right you flip the polarity of one the whole stereo image and all of a sudden yeah gets wide um so uh, it doesn't work every time but sometimes it does Uh, uh, but that's that's a button that i have to hammer like uh, come on guys just just yeah. try it don't be afraid of it exactly don't be afraid to flip the polarity and and, and i think that's that's one of the great things uh, about both the the live and the studio program is like you get time on the consoles these yeah. are real consoles um you know we had um well i mean uh, the yamaha pm10 and pm7 and uh, um the newest digicos and 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 all that sort of stuff like uh, they've come through our, our are those our live schools. those are live yeah. consoles yeah yeah and so like uh, the students get to be hands on with these real pro consoles and some a lot of these new consoles are basically just a giant mouse that's all right? it is yeah. yeah um and most of them don't have any inputs or outputs so uh, what i mean either. by that for those that don't know uh everything's in the computer it has a computer program sort of like you would record music on but you're doing live sound and the whole console is a bunch of knobs and faders and things like that but they basically are just controlling the computer so yeah. it's just like a giant mouse yeah it's, it's not like the old consoles where you had actual potentiometers and yeah. for the right. knobs these circuitry are, and these all are, the wires went through everything these are digital encoders yeah. so, so you can switch what that knob does to is, there, is it as reliable as the no. <laughs> no. I was going to say, yeah. Um, Seems like you're setting yourself up for a lot of problems of being a giant mouse like that. Yeah. I, uh, hmm. Um, there's, there's a console that we have um, that really bit the dust. And, I mean, it was done. Um, and one of the scariest features of it is when it loads and it doesn't load into its to its software, it loads yeah. into Windows Because you basically have to turn the computer on every day that yeah. you set up. You have to turn it back on again. Uh, but this one would load into Windows XP. Uh-huh. And you're, you're like, what what are we doing here? <laughs> Why are we using Windows XP for this? Um, and anyway, it took a, a lot of kind of wrangling to get that thing up and running again. Yeah. But yeah, uh, digital consoles... Um, fail all the time and that's not to say that analog consoles didn't yeah. uh, analog consoles a lot of the stuff is connected with like ribbon connectors and if yeah. you put that onto a truck and you take it down the road it's going to wiggle Bounce loose. around and things yeah um my favorite story about that type of you know failure is uh uh from robert bull and um i can't remember who he was mixing at the time it may have been martina but he had a paragon console and uh when it would travel there would be a ribbon cable that would come unseated and so uh he had a piece of tape that marked it and it's still on that console is it like the back uh, of the rack or was it inside the console it's inside the console oh my gosh so what he would do is he would take a drumstick and put it on that tape mark and kind of tweak it and it would reseat the ribbon cable and oh then he God. would be able to do a show oh uh, i've heard many stories of analog consoles that have failed over the years um so i i don't know that one's better than the other yeah we're pretty rough on gear so yeah, yeah. it seems like the engineers would come up with a better seating situation a better more positive lock yeah that, for the ribbon cables glue yeah a lot of them will um will i know glue, kyle's used glue before he asked me if yeah. i had super glue and i was, and he said yeah. well i have to glue in this, uh, this yeah. ribbon cable. Uh, hot glue is great. Yeah, hot right. glue is amazing yeah. for, for fixes like that. And you'll f- find if you open up these consoles, a lot of the manufacturers have put some sort of adhesive some on there to make sure yeah. 
in conjunction with a locking mechanism on the on the actual ribbon cable yeah. itself. So, um, but again, we are hard on gear. You yeah. know, the the difference between us and studios, studios consoles are there yeah. all the time. What, what would you say in studio consoles? The problem is just from sitting for so long, dust, whatever. Honestly, I don't think. I mean, I don't. I, I don't have a ton of experience. The fact with that, that they're so, just used every single day, like to around the clock, I think almost. That, yeah. yeah, they they don't turn them off. Yeah, they leave those things on all the time, which right? is crazy. Because if you think about like the bigger consoles, like the SSL yeah. nine thousand or something yeah. like that, um, that draws thirty amps. That's a lot of juice. Yeah, all the time. All the yeah. time. And, you know, in a resting position, thirty amps. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy. Um, no, but they they never turn their stuff off, um, and just to keep all of the components uh, warm and you know happy, yeah, uh, right. which is crazy to me. Um, which I mean, if it works, uh, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, if if you can pay that electric bill, then <laughs> I know, right? more power to it. Probably why it's so expensive to go into the recording studio. You got to pay that electric bill. <laughs> I, I tell people that all the time. That's probably the biggest misconception with studios yeah. is you know what do you think the biggest expense is. Electricity. Electricity. Every right, time. Yeah. Um, and it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And on a live situation, it's almost the cheapest thing because really it's just they're run by these diesel. I mean, yeah. I know diesel is expensive, but they've got these generators and it's running everything for lights and yeah. power and everything. They're not actually plugged into any grid. They're just all on generators. Um, well, uh, we do plug into, um, if we're if we're in a venue like a, an arena or something like of that, course, then, yeah, then yeah. we're... I guess we're, I'm just thinking about like outdoor, you know, festivals and yeah. things like that. Um, so like any sort of arena or th- uh, a stadium, we're, we're plugged into their, their power. But yeah, um, yeah any, anything that's outdoors, chances are there is a generator involved uh, in it. And yeah, the cost of doing that is rather rather cheap uh i mean the cost of i mean you can't complain about the cost of diesel to run a generator if you consider how much it costs to move the gear right exactly with with a truck from one place to the next exactly yeah Uh, i I have a cdl so like i know how much it costs to fill those things up and uh it's not cheap so um that's another thing that people don't uh, take into consideration when they're thinking about their concert prices yeah is well they got production where they have things like you know i know tim mcgraw had for a long time had a whole gym in a truck you know a whole truck dedicated to just a gym just to, you know, and, I, and he encouraged all of his uh, band and crew to come work out whenever they wanted to you know, awesome. stay in shape and that kind of thing. You that, know? But do you imagine the cost of a no. driver and maybe even a co-driver if there's long yeah. hauls, you know, plus the fuel and all that stuff? That is hotel kind of, rooms, yeah, hotel rooms. Yeah, <laughs> so many expenses. We're we're actually talking about uh, live stage setups this this week, and and with that, I'm t- talking about tour managing and and uh, riders, so tech riders, hospitality riders, yeah. and then you know what tour managers do and logistics and yeah. fuel. You cost teach that, that at the at Blackbird mm-hmm. for the live uh, thing. You teach sort of a pecking order of like what's mm-hmm. the, the proper you know yeah pay grade uh, the kind of thing like exactly. Well, w- this week is all about what you. You're going. What you need to know to set up a stage, uh, and, and it's basically monitors 101. Yeah. Um, and then because um, that has to happen in order. That yeah. there's there's a order of retrievability kind mm-hmm. of there. And that's not the wrong. That's not the right uh, word. What I mean is um, sort of a pecking order, yeah. like an order of operations yeah. that this has to happen first, yep. and then that, and then layers. You typically typically think of it as uh, AC outputs inputs. Yeah. So you have to get power first. You have to get your outputs to your wedges to your main speakers, right. and then inputs. Then you start plugging thing. mics and things in. Yeah. When you uh, strike the whole thing it's the reverse order you go after inputs outputs and then yeah. AC um, but yeah we'll, we, we kind of touch on, on a lot of the tour managing stuff this week but we have a another week that's dedicated to music business and tour management yeah. and that sort of thing uh, and we've been fortunate enough to have some great uh, guest speakers to come yeah. and, and talk to the class people that are willing to come and give their time you know and not expect anything in return and just give um, you know what they've experienced yeah. which is so valuable because unfortunately rich and i can say something all day long and then somebody else will come in the building and say the exact same thing and they'll be like oh you know their minds get it yeah exactly uh and we're like we just said that like 15 minutes ago so with teaching do you um is there that that moment of that light goes on from a student do you enjoy that and that that to me would be the most rewarding thing it's like crack Um, yeah it's like you teach a a student a kid i say a kid i mean like this this girl was 37 years old when she started but i 
you know, to me, that's kind of a kid <laughs> I, starting out. My oldest you, student was 67. No, I'm oh sorry, gosh, 64. Wow. And uh, my youngest was 17. 17. So it runs So you get a game. kid like that yeah. and you teach them something that they didn't know before. And yeah. it just, that light goes on. And you're just like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, I had no idea. That's how that worked. And you yeah. just, that's the value, I think, of teaching. Uh, absolutely. Uh, like I said, it's, it's the most addictive thing I can possibly think of. Um, yeah. But uh, this this whole experience has been humbling um, for me. Um, I have never worked harder than I have at this job because yeah. I feel or I see the reward, yeah. right? When a student walks out the door and they get a job and they have a career. Yeah, like Chase. Uh, yeah, like, Chase. Yeah, like Chase. Yeah. He... he that happened on a Thursday. He graduated the previous Friday, so he wasn't even out a week uh, before he. So he's it, one of the ones that went. I didn't know that that he yeah. went from live to studio. Yeah. Did he do it in that order, live to studio? No, or studio not, to live? no. He he went uh, from live to you know being your drum tech. Oh, I see. Like okay, within yeah. within a week. Oh, I see. Yeah, so yeah. like you know. So he just took the live course and. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know if he really had a, a path as to what he was going to do afterwards. I, yeah. I know he had some things lined so up. So what's the name of the two courses? The We say studio and live. It's, Is that it's literally the, that? That's yeah. literally, literally that. Yeah. Um, what about some information that uh, someone could, that they're looking to, to do this and they want to uh, check out uh, Blackbird Academy? Yeah. Um, the website's Blackbird Academy, theblackbirdacademy.com. Theblackbirdacademy.com. Absolutely. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, my email address is scott at theblackbirdacademy.com. Okay. And I'm, I'm more than happy to help people. Um, I tell my students that I never clock out. Um, I get calls at all hours. And I've only had one at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, fortunately. I don't know what was on that guy's <laughs> brain. But, like, uh, I've, I've answered the phone in the deli section of the grocery store and, like, you know, Okay, what you need to do is go go to the routing menu. Okay, and then go down, uh, go over to the three tabs over, and then yeah. you walking somebody through a problem. And I turn around, my wife's gone. You're like, <laughs> sorry, what, what happened? <laughs> I got to take this call. But yeah, like uh, if there's anything I can do, I'd be more than happy to help. Uh, but most of the information is on the blackbirdacademy.com, uh, um, and yeah, that's that's turning out some would, great great pros and some great kids. That's great. the goal. Uh, um, like uh it, it's it's remarkable to to see like when when somebody buys in uh and they are willing to go through like the the you know it's not an easy course yeah, right but if they're willing to go through it and 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 to grind it out what yeah. they come out as on the other side is amazing um and so like like i said i'm, I'm not lying when i say it's humbling so they're like the you guys are like the navy seals of audio <laughs> I, you know that's, has anybody ever said that before uh, um no and i probably Yay, would, I, I coined it for i coined it <laughs> I, I wouldn't compare ourselves to seals just because i don't want seals to come beat us up um I've no seen, i just mean that it's, it's a it's a it's a tough quick yeah uh, uh, you know, like a, um, I don't know, brutal in a way, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. like and you come out a different person. He, he, a lot of people yeah. do. A lot of people do. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people are able to find their voice too. Like uh, where oh, you might yeah, come into something course. like this being very timid and you come out of it and you're like, you know, you know a new you, language. You, you just learned you, German or something. Yeah, exactly. You have confidence, and yeah. it's it's a it, uh, watching that transition. Is, it's the same thing as seeing like a light bulb go off. It's it's just amazing. They they start out saying, uh, "What's what's that cable with the three pins?" And they <laughs> they end up going, "Hey, have you seen the new XL nine thousand? Yeah, yeah, checked it out last week." <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me, man. It was, it was my pleasure. So great meeting you and Likewise. talking to you. And I've always been such a big fan of Blackbird. Cool. And if anybody ever hears any person that says yeah i just graduated blackbird academy or whatever and you're in the industry hire those people because you will be doing yourself a favor thanks <laughs> yeah. yeah you guys are doing great work well we'll see you next time on designated drummer scott thank good you to so see much you, man. thanks see ya